You're listening to Special Education Matters, a regular podcast about things that matter in special education. I'm your host, Michael Bowl, and I am the proud father of an 18-year-old boy with autism. When you think of an audiologist, you might imagine an individual who tests your hearing and then suggests some hearing aids or something. As we will learn today, a well-trained audiologist goes way beyond the simple hearing test. My guest, Dr. Sidney Fox, and I engage in an interesting conversation about how the brain processes auditory information and the impact that it has on our learning. A child who struggles with auditory processing may benefit greatly from therapy designed to improve the pathways between what is spoken and what is heard. Enjoy the conversation. Dr. Sidney Fox, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. Thanks for asking me. Well, you're an audiologist, as you probably know, and I think some of us have a, a view of what we think an audiologist does, but I think today we're going to learn they do a whole lot more than when they thought uh, than a typical audiologist does. Can you tell us uh, what your role is as an audiologist? Well, let me tell you what an audiologist does. Uh, an audiologist is responsible for the diagnosis of hearing issues and hearing problems, uh, and we take care of not only the hearing mechanism, but we take care of the vestibular or the balance mechanism when they're in terms of assessment of and a lot of times therapy for. Uh, And we work uh, independently of the physicians, but we are in partnership with the physicians, if that makes any sense. So we do all sorts of things, but the primary thing well, it's really not primary anymore. The, when you go to school, mm-hmm. to which is now a doctorate level, entry level, um, you learn about the testing, both for children and for adults. And we look at the auditory system and the vestibular system and learn how to be able to accurately diagnose different types of problems. Then it splinters, okay? And from there, you've got people who are just working in vestibular, doing therapy as well. Uh, And you've got, uh, in the hearing aspect, you have people who are primarily working with the hearing aid uh, community. And Mm -hmm. doing research also is another really big thing. Uh, So you've got the research, you've got that. You have cochlear implants, and you've got the audiologist who specializes in in, in tuning the cochlear implant, and um, I just the the word for it has just escaped me. And um, so you've got the cochlear implant community, uh, which entails both children and adults. Uh, uh. You've got the interoperative monitoring community who is, are present during different types of surgeries, watching the auditory nerve so that they can tell the surgeon when they've gotten too close to damaging uh, the nerve and then, you know, destroying the hearing. So Hmm. we've got all of that. We also have people working in industry, uh, meaning the hearing aid companies, uh, the equipment companies, and uh, we have people who teach and we have, um, and, and it is a much wider range of things that you can do today than when I went through the program uh, in the uh, early 70s. So um, there's a lot of opportunities and to be able to find what you're really interested in. The uh, the one that I am doing now and that I have gotten mm-hmm. involved with since I, I got my doctorate um, is auditory processing disorders. And, and these are the adults 
a lot of them in the VA has done a tremendous amount of research with this uh, are the troops that have come back from Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, Iraq um, who have been involved in some sort of an explosion and have had uh, brain damage because of the explosion. Uh, ah. So that's where a lot of it started. And then it's all these kids that are in school who have learning problems. And so we try to work hand in hand with the school districts in developing programs for these children to help them succeed in education and in academics. So when you're looking at auditory, when you're looking at auditory, so when you're looking at auditory processing disorder, I mean, what does that look like? Uh, Maybe you could explain how it's functioning, its role in the brain. Okay. Um, The hearing mechanism, okay, the hearing sense is the primary entryway to any kind of speech or language skills. And so I like to talk about it in terms of it being a house, and it's the Mm -hmm. floor of your house. If you don't have hearing, you do not you do not develop normal speech. You do not develop language. And if you don't have speech and language, you don't develop reading abilities. So a lot of people say, oh, no, no, auditory processing is language. Well, that's very nice. But if you don't have the hearing, then your, your floor falls out. You can't hold the rest of your house structure up. So okay. the hearing is really the pathway into the uh, cortex of the brain to be able to get all of the information there for the child to learn, to develop language, and to eventually um, develop reading skills. So what sort of, like if you were to look at a child that is potentially having difficulties with the auditory processing and maybe has a disorder, what sort of signs, let's say as a teacher or a parent, might I see that would make me suspicious and want to contact somebody like you? Um, they say what a lot. They say, huh, huh. They can't hold uh, in memory or do more than one or two commands. Um, they have difficulty um, sitting still. Um, that could be ADHD, but they can't maintain focus <laughs> for long periods of time. And so they're your kid that sits in school and just sort of tunes out, you know, because they can't handle anymore. Their understanding is, um, is impaired. So they might be able to read, but then they don't understand what they just completed reading, or they can't do things that uh, make for their ability to be able to process language. So you see these kids failing and failing in school and having difficulty Mm -hmm. in reading. And um, there's a question of what's going on. And and when you have these kids and the schools decide to do what's called an IEP, an individual educational uh, program, Mm -hmm. they look at everything to be able to find out where the specific areas are that this child is having difficulty. So they get the educational psychologist in to do a total evaluation. They get the speech language pathologist in to do a total evaluation. They get an occupational therapist in to take a look at that area and that function with senses. And they get the audiologist in to do an auditory processing evaluation. 
And these things and you, don't hang independently. They all hang together. Is it common now to have an audiologist as part of that team, or is that relatively new? Um, I would say, to be honest with you, well, LAUSD has audiologists that have been doing this for quite some time. Uh, okay. I think that it's becoming more prevalent. It wasn't initially, but now with all of the uh, legal um, all of the legal uh, ramifications, uh, the schools are legally bound to find specialists who do this to be able to do this if the parent requests it. So I think we're seeing a lot more, and I would say probably in the last five to seven years, there has been a significant increase in terms of the number of people and schools that are searching for this type of an assessment. Okay, I understand. Because it sounds like you know, many of the symptoms you describe are, can, can be explained through different methods or different things, such as ADD or whatever. So mm -hmm. at some point, it must have been not or improperly diagnosed for quite some time until more understanding came around. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's certainly true. And, you know, there was uh, every day we learn more about the brain and what we know today uh, makes us shudder about what we thought was true five years ago. And five years from <laughs> now, we're going to shudder at what we have learned in the last five years about the brain. Um, um, and, and, and we thought that everything in was an individual process, okay? So you had ADHD, that was all by itself. And so if you made a diagnosis of auditory, uh, of ADHD, that was it, it was a standalone. Uh, sensory issues, it was a standalone. Visual issues, it was a standalone. And what we have learned really in the last five years is that that's not true. And that there are so mm -hmm. many neurons coursing through the cerebrum and the um, the cortex of the brain that there one area affects and can affect and can't interfere with another area. So it's an and situation, not an you know or situation. Right. So, Dr. Fox, once you diagnose somebody with auditory processing disorder, then what? What sort of therapies are they? What, what do they look like to help kids uh, process sound better? Well, the first thing is, is that um, you have to figure out, and what my responsibility is, and anybody who does this, we are looking at the brain itself, and we're looking to see where the breakdown is occurring within the auditory pathways. So is the auditory pathway responding with decoding problems? Is it working with uh, or responding with um, decoding uh, is the understanding of phonemes to be able to very rapidly identify the phonemes, okay, mm -hmm. uh, so that you know whether somebody said sun or fun or one or gun, okay, that okay. type of thing. Uh, we're looking at whether or not there is an interhemispheric problem, meaning that sounds can't cross from the right side to the left side or through a neuron-based, uh, a, a neuron bundle called the corpus callosum. Um, does the brain say, 
Uh, gee, I'm not sure if this is correct information I got because the left mm-hmm. ear is so much weaker than the right ear. Uh, we have timing issues, which is called temporal processing, uh, which destroys the ability to understand the timing aspects of speech. So if you say, oh, look at the snowdrift by the window, as opposed to, oh, look at the snowdrift by the window. Same words, totally yeah, different meanings. And for there sure, are a lot yeah. of words where you have the emphasis on one syllable versus the other syllable, which then causes a totally different meaning of the word. Um, so all of that is right hemisphere, which is temporal processing, where that occurs. Um, there, there are a lot of other things that, that are involved as well. But depending on where the problem is coming from, you have to do specific therapies for that specific area of the brain. And, and what would those look like, do you think? If, as a parent, what would, what would I expect to see? Um, there are a number of different types of things. And um, one of the ones that I use quite a, a great deal is called cap dots. Now, unfortunately... A lot of educators and and, uh, uh, ed psych individuals have immediately put kids on cap dots, uh, and then they've been disappointed that they haven't seen any improvement. Well, you Mm -hmm. know, cap dots is for what we call a left ear weakness, an inner hemispheric or an integration type of problem. If the child does not have that, you are not going to see any improvement. So you have to pull in an audiologist to be able to do this, these tests to be able to determine what's necessary. We have a lot of different companies and we're starting to see things coming out, uh, um, uh, lots of different types of, of therapies for different mm-hmm. types of things. We've got Acoustic Pioneer, we've got CogBed, we've got um, other types of, of problems. There's the DID therapy, DIID. Um, so there are a lot of different types of therapies. Fast forward is one, Care builders is one. So you got to know what you've got and you can't jump really to doing the therapy based on you think your child has this because they meet all the criteria of what is an auditory right. processing disorder. So what, I mean, how much do therapies help overall? Is it success? pretty high? Or I, I guess I just wouldn't know as a parent, uh, once I get involved with this, maybe there's costs associated with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what there sort are, of success rates I'm going to get? It's really tough for any of us to predict because we can't okay. go into Every your student's different. brain yeah. and see right. what specifically is wrong. We can definitely make it better. Some kids, mm-hmm. we can get rid of it. Um, auditory processing has been, um, it, it's, it's, has to do with the brain waves of the brain. And one of the speculations, which has been able to be uh, shown to be true in uh, research, particularly research that has been done by Nina Krauss, uh, and she's at Northwestern, um, is that these brain waves have to be in symmetry with themselves, okay? And they're not. Sort of like a screen door hmm. that falls out of the track you can still mm-hmm. close the door, but you have but to it's use a struggle. Yeah. Effort. yeah. <laughs> Once you get it back into the track and then you pull it closed, 
it stays there because it's an easier method of doing this. So we've got a lot of different types of things that we do using RM systems, uh, that's remote microphone uh, in the school so that children can hear clear speech. And in the hearing of clear speech, you are able to put these waveforms back into synchrony with each other. Uh, and part of that has to do with that the, we're, we have learned that the way that speech and any kind of sound is transmitted to the brain is that the brain actually creates that sound. And so if the brain is creating, it's sort of a, a parroting, okay? Mm-hmm. And so if the brain is creating an incorrect uh, duplicate or replication uh, right. of what it hears, then you've got a problem. And sometimes auditory processing has been described as uh, a cell phone that keeps uh, losing, you know, the signal. You know how mm-hmm, it is mm-hmm. when everything breaks down. That's kind yes. of auditory processing. And, um, you know, the, the, we may not be able to cure the problem, okay? But we certainly can make it a lot better. So when we think about auditory processing disorder, it sounds like there's varying types. Like, for example, from my understanding, sometimes students may just need more time to process uh, the auditory information. But you're also telling me that since they're repeating or recreating in their brain, they may be recreating it incorrectly. And so whether they do that quickly or slowly, it's still incorrect. That's correct. That's correct. Um, let me let me give you my analogy sure. of the brain and then uh, do my little spiel with this. And this is what I go into IEPs mm-hmm. with now and what I do with all of my parents when I'm telling them about my results because nobody's got the vocabulary of the medical model. And so if you don't understand what I'm talking about, then we're not going to be able to come to any right, kind of reconciliation right. with for the child. So anyway... So I want you to imagine an orange. The orange is sta- a stand-in for your head. And the skin of the orange is our skulls. So now what we're going to do is we're going to peel the skin of the orange off. And you're going to see all of these, we call them valleys and, and uh, mm-hmm. troughs, where the orange is folded over itself a little bit. And that is, and, and you see little stringy stuff in the orange, that's equivalent to the cortex of our brains. Now, what is a cortex? The cortex is the CEO, board of directors of our body, and makes the decisions for all of the movements, for all of the ways that our body interacts with our environment. Now, when you look at those little stringy pieces of orange, those are the neuron tracks. And you can see that they go all over that part of the orange, which is filling in for our cortexes. Well, the same thing is true in our cortexes. There are all sorts of neuron tracks mm-hmm. and, um, that go all over the cortex and takes information from one area to another area. This is why we have learned that you can have an ADHD and you can have autism. And you can have an auditory processing disorder and you can have a visual processing disorder because all of these things will interact with each other. It's now not one size fits all type of thing. And um, 
so anyway, so you have certain types of disorders that are centered in your cortex, ADHD, autism, dyslexia, mm-hmm. um, visual processing, auditory processing, okay? And they all interact with each other. So it's very important for me when I'm doing these tests that I am seeing the effect of auditory processing and not the effect of ADHD. And I do that looking for patterns. So now we're going to take our orange and we're going to cut it in half. Okay. And you're going to see all that wonderful treat. I'm still looking at a brain when you say orange, but okay, go ahead. Cut, cut, cut. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So you cut it in half. And this is the subcortical levels of the brain. And this is what collects all of the information and sends it up to the cortex so the cortex can make Mm -hmm. a decision. But now you have a left side and you have a right side. And they have to be able to interact and communicate with each other. So you're going to build a bridge between the left side and the right side. These are all neuron bundles, okay? But it's a bridge. And the stuff, all the information from the right side, whether it's motor or sensory or whatever, the right side has to be able to cross over to the left side of the brain and vice versa, okay? And they do it, and all these signals do it via this bridge, which is the corpus callosum. Now, the corpus callosum gets, um, has problems. Maybe you've got, oh, I've just blanked on the word. What is it when you hit a bump in the road? Like a speed bump? Up, um, and oh, they're pothole. Them yeah. all no, not a speed yeah, okay. bump. A pothole. That's it. Thank you. Okay. So it gets potholes on it. And so the signals don't cross efficiently and they don't sometimes are unable to get out of the pothole to get over where they're supposed to. This is integration. And so whenever I talk about or anybody talks about an integration problem, this is where the problem is. It's with the corpus Mm. callosum and it's with the processing of these signals. Okay. So now how does this work for the auditory signal? We're going to talk about the word cat. Okay. Got it. Now, somebody says the word cat to you. And what happens is, is that it goes into your ear as acoustic energy. It goes down that ear canal, hits the Mm -hmm. eardrum, bounces through, and is processed through where it has been turned into mechanical energy. Now, it's not cat anymore, okay? It's just frequencies, intensities, um, durations, all right? And then it goes into the... Uh, inner portion of the ear where it's turned into electrical energy. And then this jumps on the nerve and is taken into the brain. Now, at this point, when it goes into the brain, it's met by a traffic cop. And the traffic cop goes, oh, auditory stuff. You want the auditory Mm -hmm. cortex. And the way that you do this is you get on, for me, I always say, the 405 (laughs) North and you're going to go to the auditory okay. cortex. So this information gets on the 405, and every time there is an off-ramp, it has to get off to be tuned uh. and worked on. Similarly to a car race where they go into the pit. Now, if somebody in the pit forgets to fill up the car with gas, 
it gets back out on the racetrack, it runs out of gas, and it's out of the, the race. That's not what happens with auditory information. If something is not done correctly or is not completed, it gets back up on the, the on-ramp, it gets back on the freeway, and it continues to travel. So when it finally arrives at the auditory mm -hmm. cortex, it's incomplete or inaccurate. Uh, okay. Now, the auditory cortex is the first place where the decoding occurs. And so it looks at this signal, okay, and it says, oh, we've got a k sound, we've got an a sound, and we've got a t sound. It's not a word yet, it's just k a t. Well, if this information is wrong, it might come up there and it's a k a, mm -hmm. which when you put it together mm -hmm. is a different word. Or it might be uh, uh, a k, okay, which again is a different word. So it gets decoded at the level of the auditory cortex, and then it goes next door to the associative cortex where it's blended into cat or catch or cot or whatever, okay? This information, which is not a word yet, is then sent to the linguistic cortex and the to find out if this is a word. And the linguistic cortex gets out its dictionary and starts looking everything up. Now, at this point, the visual cortex, remember, everything merges okay. together, starts screaming, I've got a picture, I've got a picture, I'm sending it over, all right? And so all of this information gets put into a file folder, and the file folder gets put into a mm -hmm. file cabinet in the hippocampus, mm -hmm. which is memory. And so whenever you have, you read the word cat, you see a cat, you hear the word cat, the, linguist, the linguistic cortex has gone into that file cabinet and pulled out the information. And it's one of the reasons why you can't read about a cat without visually sure. putting a picture to it because that is okay. all together. Now, this has been, this auditory process has been what we call a bottom-up type of a process. It's a stimulus. It's an input process, okay? Now, once it gets to the linguistic cortex and the linguistic cortex goes to get the information, it becomes a top-down oh, or an okay. output or an expressive process. Up to this point, it's been a receptive process. So if the linguistic cortex goes to memory to get this information out and the information is incorrect, then it's going to process linguistically incorrect information. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's going to go, this top down process is going to be in error. But if the information got there correctly and it starts to pull it out and it has trouble with being able to retrieve this information, it becomes a linguistic processing issue or a top-down output mm -hmm. type of problem. And so I have to figure out what is, uh, what is input and if it is really output or if it really uh. is input so that we know what to do with it. So there you have it. And you can have input and output and you can have um, um, 
all sorts of things that impact the output, okay, the output, all of this is mm-hmm. in the cortex. So if you have anxiety issues mm. or you have sensory issues, all of this is going to affect the output of the signal. So it all, it's a very complex And with all those steps along the way, something can break down is what you're saying. Yeah, and what amazes me the most about it is it's all accomplished in a nanosecond. As I'm listening to what you're saying, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's basically the structure of the auditory processing, what it does, and when you have a disorder, what it does and where we're looking, different places we're looking for it to break down. Well, Dr. Fox, we've come to the end of our time here. I think we have a pretty clear understanding. Is there a place that people could get a hold of you in touch? I'll put this information on the website as well, but where would be a good place to get a hold of you or to, to yeah, find more information? My, my website yeah, my website is www.audiology, A-U-D-I-O-L-O-G-Y, Solutions, S O L U T I O N S L A dot com. Got it. And again, I'll have all that in the show notes as well so people will be able to see it. Thank you so much for all your time and information today. Thanks for listening to another edition of Special Education Matters. For more information, including show notes, head to our website, csnlg.com slash listen. And if you like what you hear, please uh, consider giving us a review on iTunes. Those reviews bring us lots of happiness. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and we will talk again soon.